The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. So we're going to be in uh, John chapter 1. Uh, this is kind of our Christmas, obviously Christmas season. We're talking about rejoicing in the Lord, rejoicing two weeks ago in the joy of the Lord, last week the hope of the Lord. Um, and uh, today we're going to talk about uh, grace and that grace was born to us in, in uh, Jesus Christ. Grace is one of those, probably we sang about it in some of the songs we, we sang this morning. It's one of those phrases we sing about and we talk about and we use it. I don't know if we know what it means. I don't know if we appreciate um, what the Bible means when it uses the word grace and maybe what we mean uh, when we use the word grace. So it's one of those recurring Christmas ideas that sounds warm and fuzzy and lovely, but I don't know if we always know what it means. So the other problem with the word grace is that we use it in about seven or eight different ways. So it actually has six or seven or eight different kinds of definitions to it. It can mean approval, to be in somebody's good graces, like you're approved by someone. Uh, to be charming or attractive, uh, have a, the saving grace of kindness um, towards someone, the, an ease of movement. Somebody dances with grace. We were at a wedding last night. There wasn't a lot of graceful dancing. Uh, there was a lot of crazy dancing, uh, but somebody can dance with grace. Um, it can actually be a title. We use it as a title for a church leader or for a sovereign ruler, like a king or a queen, your grace. We call people by that, that title. Um, to be considerate with, for, towards somebody, um, to accept criticism with grace, right? Uh, to give a gift. They graced us with their presence or they graced us with this thing. So we use that word grace, and this makes it harder for us to really understand what we're talking about when we read Scripture, when we use the word biblically, to understand what it means because we use it in, like I said, six or seven different kinds of ways. What we do find out about grace is we're going to really hammer it this morning, um, is that it is the it is the core truth or the core element, um, the core message that the church has to give to people today. And we, we've talked about this before, and I don't want to be a broken record about it, but guys, we've just lost our message. We've lost what we're supposed to be telling people about. I think sometimes we're so intent on selling people the effects of salvation or the effects of following Jesus that we forget that it's, that's not the deal, Right? That all the things that he brings in the train of his glory to us, that's the benefits, that's the extra, that's the icing on the cake, you know. And the grace of God is the core message of, of what we should be giving people. Modern people don't need more stuff. So why are we preaching a gospel that's about stuff? Why are we selling people a gospel that's about stuff and health and prosperity and having your dreams come true when they, they already got it? Theoretically, especially in this country. Right? We talked about that last week. We're just wildly prosperous. Why aren't we more happy than we are? Why aren't we more satisfied than we are? Why is the church, I'm going to say it, prostituting the gospel in such a way that we're telling people about having stuff, health, and wealth? That's what the world's selling them. That's, there's no good news in that, right? That is not what the world needs. That's not the offering that we should be offering people, right? We don't need to offer people what they already have. We need to offer people what they desperately lack, and that is this, the word of God, right? The word of God and the salvation that is through Jesus Christ. 
That's biblical grace, and that is the core message of the church. That's what you're talking to people about when you talk to them about your relationship with God. Not that he made you happy. Not that he gave you health. Not that he made your family amazing, blah, blah, blah. You're talking to them about, man, I was a sinner lost in darkness, and Jesus saved me. That's grace. That's the message that the world needs from us. Francis Chan, he's an author, pastor. He said this, he just stripped it down, and he said, grace is when you should be totally punished, but you're blessed for no reason. And you just put that and apply that toward our souls, apply that toward our, our eternal destinies, right? We should be punished. And for absolutely no reason, God blesses us. That's grace. That's the core message of Christianity. It's the core message the world, I think, needs now maybe more than ever. It's this huge idea, this idea of grace. And I know we can boil it down and talk about, we should talk about the gospel and talk about Christ and talk about the cross. But I really want to spend some time. We're going to hammer on this out throughout the morning today. Uh, it's also a fantastic way for us to focus at Christmas time, right? When we get lost in the busyness or the mess of it all or the money uh, or, or the expense of it or the busyness or whatever. It's a great way. Grace is a great way for us to just maintain our focus. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read it all at the same time. Normally, we kind of take it verse by verse, and we're going to go back and talk about it, but I think to get the, the emphasis and the weight of the passage, we need to read it all together, okay? So I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 18. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glories of the only gotten, begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, and he cried out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who was in the bosom of the Father. Jesus has explained him. Man, this is one of the richest texts in the entire New Testament. Um, as we read and we understand a little bit about who Christ is and what grace is. So we sing this song, which we all know, man, lost people know this song, Amazing Grace. We know some stanza of it, some verse of it. And we sing that song, Amazing Grace. And honestly, I think sometimes it ought to be like unbelievable grace. Um, maybe it should be impossible grace when we sing that song. I think contrary to what we, we naturally believe, grace is actually unbelievable. And here's what I mean by that. Most of us carry around some kind of thinking that says, I deserve something short of what I deserve. 
I, I think I know what I deserve, but I actually deserve something less than that. Like somehow or another, God is somehow obligated to not give us what we deserve. So we carry around in us. See, grace doesn't have its full meaning. Anytime I carry around the idea, I deserve something less than what I deserve. Grace isn't as impactful to you. You have to understand you deserve exactly what you deserve. And God is within every right to give you what you deserve, right? We need to understand that first. But a lot of us carry around this idea that somehow God is obligated to not give me what I deserve. Second thing that we, that helps us or hinders us from understanding grace. I don't really deserve anything that bad. I'm not that bad, right? Don't we all kind of carry that around in us? I'm really not that bad. God, if you only knew what she did yesterday, whew, you would know I'm a pretty good person, right? We compare ourselves to other people, and that's really probably the worst thing we can do, and we, we, we tend to pick people who are worse than we are. I'll say worse than we are, right, on purpose. We gravitate toward them. Well, at least I'm not a mass murderer, right? Well, at least I don't do, you know, I didn't rob from a bank or anything, right? Well, at least I didn't sleep with her. See what I'm saying? We pick like the worst thing that we can think of and compare ourselves to that. And then we go, well, I'm not that bad. Grace isn't that big of a deal if you're not that bad. The third thing that we need to understand to help us understand grace is this, and we got to get rid of it. I have worked hard to earn something besides what I deserve. I've worked really hard to just earn something else. And again, it's like God's obligated to give me something good when I do good. Grace is not that big a deal if God owes me grace. If I have somehow earned grace, grace is not that big of a deal because I bought it. It's a transactionary relationship. So I have to get out of my head all that kind of thinking that there's something I deserve that's something else. I've earned something that's not as bad as what I deserve. I don't really deserve anything that's that bad. I got to get rid of all that thinking. Christmas is a time where we rejoice and we celebrate and we should and we ought to have this party. We recognize Christ, but it's because of grace. As there's a straight line from Bethlehem to Calvary. There's a straight line from that baby being born to him dying on a cross in different ways and really from different perspectives, both the cross and Bethlehem point out the horrible nature of our sin and the incredible nature of grace. If God went to such great lengths to send us his son as a baby and then to sacrifice his son on a cross, how ugly and horrible and unfixable is our sin problem? Do you think that the, the, the gospel, that the, the cross of Christ, that sending Jesus as a baby is like overkill? That God could have done something else? Do you understand that? That points out how horrible and unfixable our problem actually is. That God would send his son as a baby and send him to a cross and kill him because of our sins. Do you understand that? See, grace is amazing, right? Grace is incredible when you understand how horrible and how unfixable our problem is and how beautiful and how undeserved God's grace gift is to us in Jesus Christ. What we find out as Christians, and we, we read scripture, you find out that all of our life, pretty much everything we understand about being a Christian, about walking with Jesus Christ, is rooted in grace. 
So you can look this up on your own. You could look it up in, in the New Testament and read some things. But I'm going to read some things to you that the New Testament says in different verses. All these things are rooted in grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, you're able to stand before God. Because of the grace of Christ, you're able to behave differently, to do things that you ought to do and not do things that you shouldn't do. Because of the grace of Christ, you can overcome this life. Because of the grace of Christ, you can have holiness. You can have the strength to live. It says that our very speech is changed because of the grace of Christ. You can get up with joy even while you're suffering because of the grace of Christ. You have an everlasting future. You have hope beyond death. And scripture says, because of the grace of Christ, because of the grace of Christ, because of the grace of Christ, this is what's true about you. It's incredible grace. It's unbelievable grace. This is what John is talking about when he says there's grace upon grace, that Jesus was full of truth and of grace. Man, he's overwhelmed. I think John's at that point when he's writing his gospel, he's writing this book, he's at the point where he gets his problems. <laughs> he, he knows his junk, and he kind of owns his junk and his sin. And he's overwhelmed at any grace, but then there's this like uncontrolled response to all of these other effects of grace. So here's what's cool about God's grace, right? It's not just that, and I hate to say it that way, he saved you from hell. Do y'all get that? Like he saves our souls from being separated from him forever because we are not deserving of anything else. We deserve that. He saves us from that. Then he pours on, like he piles on gifts because of the grace of Christ. It's an unbelievable grace, guys, right? An unimaginable kind of grace. The very last line of the Bible, the very last line in Revelation, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Not the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Not the comfort of the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because John understands, who also wrote Revelation, he understands it's all rooted and founded in the grace of Jesus Christ. He understands that. So he wants the grace of Christ to be with us. So you should be a little overwhelmed, and we sing these Christmas carols, and we sing some other worship songs, and maybe we need to be a little more ready next time we sing, to sing about Jesus, to sing to Jesus, because of everything that he has brought to us, and it's rooted in the grace of Christ. So in John's story, this is John's Christmas story, by the way. He didn't talk about shepherds and angels and the virgin and all that. This is his version of, hey, here's how Jesus came into the world, okay? So this is John's Christmas story, and we find a, a great, I think, treasure here in the Christmas story of John that's unique. It's different from the other ones. You ready? Here's what John is saying. He's like, here's why Christmas is amazing, and again, we talked about it last week. It's not that it's because it's a cute little baby and there's magi and shepherds and angels. He says, this is why Christmas is amazing. Because this light, the light of the world, the word of God, this one who was with God, who was God, the one who Moses couldn't even conceive of, but he wrote about him in the law as he saw him, the one who reveals God, he explains God to us, according to verse 18, that's Jesus. That's why Christmas is amazing. Because God knows that we need grace, and he doesn't give us an object that has grace in it. He gives us himself, and Jesus is the grace of God. Christ embodies the grace of God. We talk about grace like it's a thing, like it's something that God gives us, like a bicycle or a TV or a new job or something like that. 
Grace was born to us, given to us, in the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to go back and some of you old school church people, this is going to sound familiar. Here's another idea, another way to understand grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. The unearned blessings and favor of God. That's what grace is. What does that mean? It means I can't earn it. It means I don't deserve it. And it means it's what I don't deserve. You see, it's not only what I, what I deserve, it's what I don't deserve. It's, it's not, see what I'm saying? I cannot give you what you deserve, but I don't have to give you more. Grace is not only not giving you what you should get, I'm going to give you a lot of other stuff too. That's God's grace. That's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Do you have any sense, any sense of anything like this in your life where you're like, man, I really don't deserve this. I could live a thousand lifetimes and be the best version of me that I could ever be, and I could never, ever earn this. It's not about stuff. It's not about this earth. It's not for here, just for here. It is the free, unearned redemption of our minds and our bodies and our souls, every bit of us from sin, from the moment that we follow Jesus Christ into and through eternity. Sometimes we get bored with grace. Some of you checked out 10 times ago when I said grace the 30th time today. We get bored with grace. We don't appreciate grace because, again, we carry around this Western thing of, like, I'm special. God put this all here for me. Life is about self-realization and actualization, and I'm really not that bad of a person. We carry all that around, so grace isn't really amazing. Here's the great news about Christmas, guys. Verse 14. The word became flesh full of grace. Full of grace. God doesn't give us grace as a thing. He gives us Jesus who is full of grace. And yet we do need grace. We do. Even if we just understand the idea, I deserve, I deserve to be separate from him forever. I don't deserve anything. If that's all I get, and all I understand is, I don't deserve this, but he's given me this gift. That is enough. We need grace. We need a certain kind of grace. Here's the grace that we need. We need God. God himself has to step in to our story. It has to be God. He's the only one who can handle the weight of our sin. He's the only one who can bridge the gap between my broken soul and God's perfection. It has to be God who steps in. It has to be God who lives inside of us, who shelters me from the wrath of God. It has to be God who stands in my place, who takes my penalty. It has to be God who judges me because of my sin and yet pardons me because of the work of Jesus Christ. It has to be God who accomplishes all of those things. That's why Christmas is incredible. That's why grace is amazing. Not because God gave us grace, because he gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Michael Horton, a writer and, and, and author, theologian, he says this. He says, in grace, in Christmas grace, God gives nothing less than himself. Grace, then, is not a third thing or a substance that mediates between God and sinners. It is, the, it is Jesus Christ in redeeming action. That is grace. I love that. Jesus Christ in redeeming action. That is grace. That's Christmas grace that we come. So here at Christmas time, and I've talked about it before, we all have lists, right? 
We're, we're getting lists from people. We're making lists. We have a list in our head. I hope I get this, and I hope I get this, and I hope she doesn't buy me that, and, you know, that kind of thing. We've got this list going on in our heads. We come to Christmas time. It's a time for a list. We know what we want to get. We're pretty sure what we're going to end up with. Once you get to a certain age, you know, I know I'm going to get that, right? And then I think we have another list that's underneath the surface, and it's what we need. I think you do reach an age where you're understanding Stuff isn't really filling me up. It's nice, and it's fun to have. But I do have other needs that are underneath this stuff that I'm getting, and I hope I get those things. Don't we? We hope we get those things, and sometimes we don't even know what we need. That's probably part of our biggest problem, that we don't even know what we need. There's just this lingering, gnawing thing underneath, picking at us all the time, and, God, there's this unmet need in me, you know? Maybe we would identify a deeper need like we did the last two weeks, joy or hope or something like that. But here's what I want to tell you. And again, if you don't walk out with anything else, I want to tell you what we need. We need grace. We need grace. So I'm going to try to illustrate it. Think about your children. Your kids need grace? Amen. Right? Sometime around three, I'm going to, I don't know, six weeks old, you find out they're sinners. They are, these people are sinners. Right? It starts early. They need grace. So I'm going to talk to you about my kids a little bit. Jordan's here today. He's like, I'm so glad I'm here today. <laughs> talk to you about my kids. Both of them have professed faith in Jesus Christ, and I think it's legit as far as I can tell. But my gosh, they can be selfish. <laughs> and snarky. Like, I don't know where they got that from, Mindy. <laughs> Pretty sure it's not my genes. Jordan can be just maddening because sometimes he just does just enough to get by and he doesn't do everything with excellence. Both of them can be, let's just say, quick to judge and slow to grace. Why am I airing my kids' junk here? Which I probably shouldn't be doing. And I never do it. So let's be fair. I'm going to air my junk here. I can be arrogant and proud. I can remember the name of a bounty hunter in one scene of Empire Strikes Back, but I cannot remember the address of my favorite verse in the Bible. I can be short with Mindy. I can be overly reliant on my ability to discern and to judge a situation. I can rely on my smarts and my hard work over relationships and enjoying what's right in front of me. Now, here at Christmas time, what if I went to God and I said, God, it's Christmas and I've got a list. I need kids who behave better. I need a wife who acts and reacts better. I need a church people who do more. I need a staff that is more excellent. And God, this is my grown-up Christmas list. Please give me what I want. Give me what I think that I need so that I can be more awesome and happy. Amen. And I think God would say, I hear you, son. And I'm working on your kids, and I'm working on Mindy, and I'm working on your church, and I'm working on your staff. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you what you need the most. I'm going to give you the grace of Jesus. I'm going to change your hearts, every one of you. I'm going to change what your children want. I'm going to change your wife's motivations. I'm going to undo your church's sins. 
I'm going to radically alter your staff's passions. Jesus died, Joe, and he came back so I could give this to each of you. I'm committed to this, and I'm going to finish it. I think he also says, and Joe, don't forget, because you've trusted in me, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Grace upon grace. Merry Christmas, Joe. You're welcome. Why do I need that? And why does my staff need that? And why do my kids need that? And why does my wife need that? Because we live, according to John chapter 1, we live in darkness. According to John chapter 3, we love darkness. I live in it, and I love it. And I reject the light in my natural condition, the light of God. We are sinners, and we love sin. And my gosh, we need that taken away. I need that taken away. My kids need that taken away. You need that taken away. I need the grace of God working in my life to change my soul, my heart. Grace upon grace. I don't want to seek validation through my children's obedience anymore. I don't want to seek meaning through being a father or a mother or a child. I don't want to seek significance because of my job's performance. I want to get to a point in life when when I don't have those things, they don't crush me because I'm not dependent on them to live and to breathe and to have meaning. Grace frees me. Grace frees me from trying to use those things to be something, and it allows me to enjoy those things because I am. Do y'all get that? This is why grace is so awesome. Grace means, Joe, you can't earn it. You can't earn meaning. You can't find meaning anywhere else. You can't find significance and happiness anywhere else. I'm giving it to you. I provided it for you. And it frees me to just enjoy life and people in my life. Instead of using them to be something, I, I enjoy them because I am something. And that's grace. And it's rich, and it's amazing, and it's incredible, and it's unbelievable. It's grace upon grace. No matter how I fail, no matter what I lack, no matter when I don't have God's opinion about his world or my rebellion, I am his child. That's what it says here in this text. To all who believe he became, he gave the right to become the children of God. I am his child, and I can come to him and call him dad and be accepted as his child. You want to know one of the deeper truths about John chapter, chapter 1, which is amazing. It's an incredible passage. But one of the most amazing things about John chapter 1 is this. Jesus is God, and he is eternally, repeatedly, and unfailingly faithful to himself and to us to save us from sin and wrath and ourselves. That's grace upon grace. That's why Christmas is so incredible. That's why John chapter 1 is so amazing. Because Jesus is God and he's unfailingly committed to rooting sin out of my life and making me more like Christ. Grace upon grace. It's more than you can ever imagine. Look at verses 16 uh, through 18 specifically. It says, For of his fullness we have all received, and there it is, and grace upon grace. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were revealed through Jesus Christ. 
No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. Jesus, it says, he has explained God to us. So there's this mention of Moses here, and that's so interesting. Why does he do that? Why does he throw this thing about Moses here? Well, again, you go back to the Old Testament, the law was given through Moses. And I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. That is part of it. But effectively, the first five books of the Old Testament, those things were given to us through Moses. And here's what I want to tell you. That's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. It's incredible. I don't know if you've ever just gone and read it. It's really amazing. And the things you can find out about God and his character and who he is and what he's doing and what he's trying to accomplish in the world, it's, it's really all in the first five books. You can find pretty much all of it there. The gospel's present in those first five books. It's, it's really amazing. And it reveals so much to us about God's goodness and holiness and his grace. The sacrificial system is set up in those books. But here's what I'll tell you about Moses. And here's what I'll tell you about the first five books. They are limited. They're limited in their effect, what they can do, and their ability, what they can do in us. Because here's what they did in the law. Listen, they sacrificed daily. Every day. The fires of burned sacrifices and dead animals standing in the place of sinners all day long, burning, burning, burning. I've heard it said that the, the job description for an Old Testament priest was basically that of a butcher. All day long, standing in the place of sinners to bring them into a right relationship with God over and over and over and over to cover up sin, to show us the price of sin. That's a big part of sacrifice, to, uh, to let us understand this is what you deserve. This animal is taking your place as I let its blood out and as I burn it on the altar. Effectively, it's happening, what's happening, this should happen to you. So over daily for millennia, we have the sacrificial system where the, pro, the priest is sacrificing day after day after day. Hebrews talks about the temporary nature of that. Why is Christmas grace, we talk about Christ, born in Jesus Christ, why is it so overwhelming? Again, because it flies in the face of our belief. We have this natural belief, I'm not that bad of a person. But man, read verses 5 and 10 and 11 and see what it says about us. See what just this text tells us about our own hearts. We are that bad. Christmas grace is amazing because it removes the possibility that any attempt to reform my behavior will remove my sin. You should all say amen. Any attempt on my behalf to reform my behavior, to remove sin, is inadequate. Amen. Do you understand that? how much time you waste coming up behind the sacrifice of Jesus being good to earn what Christ has brought you already. Any attempt on your behalf to reform your behavior, to remove your sin is inadequate. And what Jesus proved on the cross, and Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews says this, for eternity, he nailed that down. He's like, every, all the sacrifices were inadequate. None of them could cover your sins. None of your sacrifices can cover your sins either. It's only the sacrifice of Christ. That's why Christmas grace is amazing. I'm free from having to be good to earn God's approval. That's what Christmas grace, that's why it's so much better than what uh, Moses brought to us in the law. It's great, but it's incapable. Jesus and, and his grace are capable and powerful. All Moses did was point to the light. You get that? 
All he did was point us to the light. All he did was point us toward grace. All he did was point us and record God's word. Jesus is those things. He is the light of God. He is the word of God. He is the grace of God. It is grace upon grace. Moses' law was grace. Do you understand that? It's good, and it's grace, and it shows us the problem of our sin. It shows us God has to do something so we can be right with him. But it's inadequate. It's incomplete. Grace upon grace is Jesus Christ, right? that we're still not doing sacrifices today. That's grace upon grace. Because there's been one sacrifice made for all to bring the righteous to the, un- or the unrighteous to the righteous. We might become the righteousness of God. How much grace has been provided to us through Jesus Christ? Just enough to get us what we deserve or don't deserve? Is it like just enough to get in? I'll go to Stripes. I have an addiction. And it's a mixture of Diet Coke a little bit of regular Coke, and some cherry Coke. Just enough, right, so it doesn't taste like roach killer while you're drinking it, all right? <laughs> That's my addiction. And I stop at Stripes in the morning on the way in, and I get one. Here's what happens when I walk out of Stripes. I smell like bacon grease or whatever it is they're frying back there, pig's lips, you know, whatever. <laughs> I smell like that when I walk out. I was in there like 30 seconds, and I walk out. I'm like, why do I smell like bacon grease, right? Or when you go to a barbecue place, you know, and you walk out and you get that barbecue smell on you, which isn't all bad, I'm just saying. So do we get just enough grace that we kind of get singed and we, we get into heaven and, and, and everybody's looking at you like, oh boy, you barely made it. You smell like, <laughs> you smell like smoke, dude, you know? Is it just enough grace to God free us? It's like a last minute rescue. Look at verse 16. Look at verse 16, it's so cool. For of his fullness, we have all received grace, and grace upon grace. That little word fullness means the superabundance of Christ. The superabundance of Christ. So what have we received? Grace upon grace. Not just enough to squeak in. The superabundance of Christ. Of his superabundance, we have all received. The only thing I can liken it to would be if I were to go to a, a, a giant lake or the ocean and I pull a cup out or a bucket out or a 50-gallon barrel out or a truckload of water out and there's still the ocean. Out of the super abundance of who Christ is, we have received grace upon grace, grace that is more than enough more than enough for then, for later, for eternity, for here and now, every day. For the power of Jesus Christ to be changing me moment by moment, grace upon grace, more than enough grace. Power to overcome lust or self-hatred or bitterness or sadness or anger or whatever it is that you think can't be rooted out of you, grace upon grace. The superabundance of Jesus Christ has been poured out on us. That's why Christmas is so amazingly incredible. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him to us. So it's a little bit, the English is kooky. I know it's kind of hard to read it, but just understand it says, nobody's ever seen God. How, do we, how could we ever know God? God, who is with God, has explained him to us. That's what he says. What's he talking about? Jesus, how do I know God? How do I know anything about God? How can I approach God? How can I ever understand God? And God's like, well, here, let me give you a systematic theology book. Read that and you'll understand. 
He sends Christ. We've not seen God, but we've understood God, handled God, killed God, seen him resurrected. We know who God is. Jesus has explained him to us. He's revealed him to us. That word explained, it it means highlight. Jesus has highlighted God. So it's almost like this idea, and you see it throughout the book of John in particular, when people are trying to shine a spotlight on Jesus, he consistently takes that spotlight and shines it back on his father. I don't know if you've seen that. It's, it's specifically in the book of John. He does it over and over and over again, where he's constantly going, you're seeing me, but you see the father in me. See him. See how glorious he is. He's revealing God to us. We can know him and experience him on every level, and I want you to understand that. When he came as a human being, I think part of what God's trying to help us understand is that God wants to be a part of every part of our human existence. Because, again, he could have come, been incarnate in flesh, popped up as a 33-year-old, gone to a cross and died for us, but he made the point of coming as a baby through the birth canal, right? That's how we all got here, by the way, okay? And he comes through the birth canal— just like we did. And I think part of the communication from God is, is that you can experience the power of God in every area of your humanity. What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to struggle as a human being? Jesus went through that. He walked, God walked through that. And you can experience God in every area of pain, struggle, difficulty that you're going through because he has. Are you experiencing God like that? And listen, don't, don't relegate grace to like later or the, like the day I got saved. We think amazing grace. We're like, oh, he saved me one day and I'm going to go to heaven one day. There's a lot of living between those days for most of us. There's grace upon grace for that in-between time. Listen, we cheapen grace. You, you cheapen God's grace when you use it as an excuse to sin and when we limit it to saving us only from the penalty of hell. Grace is so much more than those two things. It's not just forgiveness for your sins daily, and not just, I'm not going to go to hell someday. It's, he's working in me now. He calls me his child. I can talk to him. I have the power of Christ living in me. Grace upon grace, right? More grace than we can ever understand. You want the full effect of God, the light of the world to shine into you, the freedom that he brings to us. Grace, in this passage in John chapter 1, he talks about the darkness of the world. Two kinds of darknesses here. He talks about the darkness of the world and the darkness of our hearts. And grace, God's grace has overcome both of them. How does he overcome the darkness of the world? He puts his son in a skin suit. (laughs) He puts his son in human flesh. He overcomes the darkness of the world and says, here he is. Do you see him walking among you, living among you, teaching you, doing miracles, saving you, dying for you, coming back? So he overcomes darkness through Christ coming in flesh, and he overcomes the darkness of our hearts by rebirthing us and making us his children. I need you to understand this. Our natural existence is that we are not God's children. He is our father in terms of being our creator, but spiritually we are sons of the devil. It's what scripture says. I'm not his child spiritually. How does he overcome that darkness in my heart? He supernaturally, through the work of God, gives me a new heart. He rebirths my heart. So God has overcome the darkness out there by sending Christ and a human being, and he's overcome the darkness in my heart by sending Christ in here to rebirth me. He's done both of those things through Christ. 
Grace ensures me that every time I want to try to convince God that I'm better than I am, that I'm better than that guy, I'm better than I used to be, so I'm really okay. Here's what, this is, it's hard for us to understand this, but grace ensures us that God absolutely, absolutely rejects that argument. God's not bartering with you about your goodness. He's already made that judgment. There is no one good, not one. He's already determined that. So I'm not bartering with him about how good I am and what I might deserve or not deserve. Jesus has settled that issue once and for all. He absolutely rejects me anytime I come to him and say, didn't I earn? Haven't I been good enough? Shouldn't you give me? Right? He's rejected that whole line of thinking. And he makes a way for me to be right with him through the fullness of Jesus Christ. So if all he does is reject my ability to be good, I am lost forever because that's all I have left to stand on in my pitiful attempts to not be as bad as I probably am or at least to convince him otherwise. And if he knows and he rejects that, I'm totally hosed. But he steps in, does it? He steps into the gap in the person of Jesus Christ. In the fullness of Jesus, he makes sure that I can have a right relationship with him. This is why grace is so amazing. It frees me from trying to argue with God about how good I am. I don't have to anymore. And it frees me because it makes me his child. If your children have to come to you all the time and convince you how good they are, what a cruddy relationship you have with your kids if that's what it's based on. So we come to God and we say, God, I am self-righteous and I am lustful and I'm condemning of other people and I'm arrogant and I'm a doubter and in my heart, I murder people daily as I have hate inside my heart and I love ice cream way too much. God, is there any grace for me? Whatever sins and foibles and mistakes that you want to lay on his doorstep that you think are too big, too overwhelming, we come to him and we say, God, is there enough grace for me? And his answer is there is grace upon grace because I sent Jesus for you. There's grace for you. There's grace for me because Jesus put on that skin suit and he died and he lives and today he invites you to be his child. That is Christmas grace and that's why it's so amazing. And we're like, man, but I just, I like the baby Jesus and actually, Pastor Joe, you're ruining Christmas for me because... Now I can't just have Santa Claus and Rudolph and, you know, all that stuff. I got to think about grace and, man, bummer. John chapter 1 is a tough text. This is a really thick heart. We blew through it. We could spend months walking through just these first 18 verses of John. It's a really thick, complicated thing. There's a lot of Greek philosophy in, in the first chapter of John. In the United States... The average reading level is eighth grade. That's kind of where we tend to cap out in terms of what we can read and what we can comprehend when we read. We kind of cap out at about eighth grade. That's the average reading level in the United States. So when we read this text, we read the book of John, we read John 1 through 18, it's tough. It's hard just as it is. And then we add on to it like our, our level of ignorance, which we all have, like, God, I really don't understand some of what you're saying to me here. This is really difficult. How do we hope to ever understand these ideas of light and darkness and grace and 
Jesus is God and preexistent. Man, he talks about John the Baptist says he existed before I did. And how's that possible? And we, it's so hard to understand. It's so deep. Grace is so deep and it's so complicated and, and it's so broad and it's so wide, but it's also simple enough for children to understand. Earlier, we sang that song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. 1863, an Episcopalian pastor, um, Phillips Brooks, he went to Israel. He was there for about nine months. On horseback, he rode from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. This is like my bucket list thing. <laughs> he rides on a horse at night from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And it's a starry night. He writes about it in his journal. And they ride by this place, and he sees a cave in the ground. Limestone caves are everywhere, and there's a cave, and there are shepherds sleeping with their sheep in this field by this cave. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is Christmas. I'm walking through Christmas right now. He went to a church service on Christmas Eve at the church that Constantine built over what is supposed to be the birthplace of Jesus, the Church of the Nativity. In 365, the church was 1,500 years before he went there. They started the service at 10 and ended at 3 in the morning. You guys are like, oh my gosh, I'm ready to leave now. That's five hours, right? It de this whole experience deeply moved him as he thought about what Christ had done and the, the birth of Christ, the grace of God. He loved children. He comes back and he's just thinking about all this in his journals. Three years later, he writes the lyrics that we have now for O Little Town of Bethlehem. Here's why he wrote the, the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. He wanted children to understand the grace of God. He loved kids. His ministry was built around reaching out to children and their, their families. And he desperately wanted to explain what had happened to him that starry night riding on horseback through Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And he wanted these kids to understand the gravity, the simplicity of grace, the majesty of grace. So he wrote a lot of hymns and he, it says in his journal that he constantly heard music in his head, constantly had these songs happening in him. And he believed that music was one of the ways that God had personally touched his life and changed him. So it was just this confluence of his experience and loving children and music. And we end up with this. And I want you to, I want to read this and I want you to hear grace, okay? Not the word, the ideas. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, come to us, abide with us, O oh Lord Emmanuel. That is grace. That is a, that's someone who gets it and wants all of us to get it, children to get it. And it's so understandable on one level, isn't it? I don't deserve it, and God's done something I don't deserve, and he gives it to me as a free gift. That's grace. That's why Christmas is amazing. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. God, let us know fully the grace that's been born to us in Jesus Christ.
God, I pray that we would know God and experience him in every part of our human existence. And I'm just gonna, nobody's looking, I'm just gonna ask a question. If you would just say, man, there's something, and just, I'm just a human and life is difficult or it's hard or, or confusing. I don't know what's ahead. I've got this longing in my heart and I don't know what's gonna fill it. I, I wanna know, I wanna experience God in those places. Could you just raise your hand and say, would you, Pastor Joe, would you pray for me? I wanna know God in these places I don't even understand in my heart. God, we lift up our, our hands now and as the incarnation of Christ, the grace of Jesus came in a human being speaking into every part of our existence. Father God, I pray you'd speak into our hearts. We have our hands lifted up. Lifted up. And God, I pray that we would experience God in these places we don't even understand, these, these painful places, these hard places, places of loss or grief or confusion, fear. God, I pray that we would experience the grace of Jesus in those areas. Let us know you and your power and your grace in all of these areas in our lives, God. God, I pray that we would live in grace that we would enjoy the things of Christmas and the people of Christmas, but God, we wouldn't look at them to fulfill us. God, I pray we would all be the sons and the daughters of God. There are people in this room and that is not their description of themselves. They're not a son of God. They're not a daughter of God. They're in church and they try to be good, but they're not a son of God or a daughter of God. If that's you right now and you would say, Pastor Joe, I want to be a son of God. I want to be a daughter of God. I've never come to Christ in faith. Not really. I've gone to church and whatever church is about religion. But I'm not trusted in Jesus like this, this grace that you're talking about. And I want to be God's son. John says specifically, if you believe in him, you are given the right to become sons and the daughters of God. If you would just say, man, that's me. I, I want to become God's son or daughter right now. I want to ask him for his grace in my life. Just pray with me. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. Come live in my heart. Let me ex experience you as the Lord of my life in every way. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. Just talk to him. Tell him about that. Give me grace. Forgive my sins. Be the Lord of my life. You can become the son or the daughter of God right now. It happens in a moment, in an instant, as God rebirths you. God, I pray we would also live in awe of your grace. And we sing amazing grace, it would really, really be amazing, overwhelming, unbelievable grace, God. Changing us and saving us, bringing us out of darkness into the light. Do that. We want to stay in the darkness. Bring us into the light. Drag us into the light by grace. God, overwhelm me with your grace. It's more than I could ever dream of. Far, far away from what I deserve. Thank you. Can we just thank him? Thank you. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thanks for Christmas, because it's what it's all about. Father, we love you. Thank you for this message that we got from John today about your son. In your name we pray, amen.